Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. Thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you enjoy what we do, please like, comment, and share in your favorite podcast app. And we'll keep sharing great conversations like the one we have for today. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. I'm also an investor in and advisor to more than 30 AI-first companies, and as you know, a firm believer in the power of technology to make humans better. If you're passionate about changing the world with AI, or maybe just looking for your next adventure, let's talk. We learn from AI thought leaders weekly on this show, and the added bonus is you get one AI fun fact each week. Today's fun fact. This week in Nature Online, Chris Stokel-Walker writes about how ChatGPT is listed as an author on recent research papers and how the scientific community has responded. Many in the field say AIs, such as ChatGPT, don't fulfill the criteria for a study author because they can't take responsibility for the content and the integrity of scientific papers. An attribution of authorship carries with it accountability for the work, which can't be effectively applied to LLMs. And that's a quote from Magdalena Skipper, who's the editor-in-chief of Nature based out of London. Authors using LLMs in any way while developing a paper should document their use in the methods or acknowledgement sections when that's appropriate. Scientific director Stein Sugurdsen, an astronomer at Pennsylvania State University in University Park, says a software tool can't be an author of a submission, in part because it can't consent to terms of use and the rights to distribute the content it generates. One guideline is that a co-author needs to make a significant scholarly contribution to the article, which might be possible with tools such as ChatGPT, but it must also have the capacity to agree to be a co-author and to take responsibility for the study's content. Of course, we'll continue discussing this very important topic about generative AI, ChatGPT, LLMs, and certainly the ethics related to them in future episodes. But now shifting to this week's conversation. We've all become closet supply chain experts since the pandemic as prices for high demand goods have surged, ships have backed up at ports, and iPhones in cars can't be produced due to chip shortages. Bob Rogers started OII.ai in 2019 to automate supply chain design. The company uses advanced modeling and AI to optimize supply chain planning and automate the configuration of complex networks. Bob started his career as a Harvard physicist, using neural networks to measure activity near black holes in deep space. During his 35-year career, Bob has been a trailblazer in using AI to solve complex problems. He's an expert in residence for AI at the UCSF Smarter Health Center and was chief data scientist in the data center group at Intel. He also was a co-founder and chief scientist at Apixio, a healthcare AI company. Additionally, he co-authored the books Artificial Neural Networks Forecasting Time Series and Demystifying Big Data and Machine Learning for Healthcare. Bob received his BA in physics at uh, Cal Berkeley and his PhD in physics at Harvard. And uh, it's quite a distinguished background without further ado. Uh, Bob, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by Maybe having you share a little bit uh, more about your background and how you got into this space. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Well, I'm really excited to be here. 
the uh, the the starting point for me, you mentioned I have a, a background in physics, was working on computational models of of bl supermassive black holes in other galaxies, um, and what that led me to was realizing early on. So for me, early on the the mid eighties that solving complex problems with computers is is something that you can you could do then and it was only going to get bigger faster smarter one of the things that that cropped up early on that really captured my uh my imagination was these artificial neural networks which were the idea that you could compute using the way the brain computes rather than rather than more traditional rules based computing and um, so that that led to quite a lot of work for me early on. Um, one thing that happened was people wanted to know, can you forecast the stock market with these neural nets? And so I actually had a 12-year period where I co-founded and ran a quantitative futures hedge fund uh, using different kinds of modeling to forecast. And it actually did work quite well. The fast-forwarding as there as you know most of your listeners know there was an ai winner from sort of the early 90s until about 2006 so i was working in a variety of areas to create value around data but as the technology to use what what artificial network neural networks became that is deep learning convolutional neural networks for image processing as that started to come of age it co corresponded nicely with the kinds of things I was solving at uh, at Apixio and then later at Intel. So it was really sort of it's it's been this this interest in how you can compute more the way a brain computes has been there the whole time, and I've been using little bits and pieces. Um, and then as the technology really flourished, I was in some ways swept along with the swept along with the tide. So it's been a, it's been quite an interesting journey as the technology has just it, it has clearly hit the hockey stick. I mean, we're talking about things today that we wouldn't have even talked about four or five months ago, and uh, so it's it's very exciting time. We're talking about the hockey stick. So I mentioned in the opener that the AI fun fact was about AI or specifically Chat GPT being listed as a co-author, and who better to discuss that than someone who just collaborated with yeah. ChatGPT as a co-author yep. to publish a book called The The Evolution of Creativity and Communication. What surprised you most about uh, your co-author? Thanks, Dan. So um, the, the part that really amazed me as I was working with ChatGPT, and I can tell you a little bit about how the book came about as well, but it was really its ability to tell a story and to sort of pick a voice and also to incorporate humor. So one of the, one of the, the 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 sort of uh byline of the of the book or the second the second part of the title is chat gpt an ai expert and a lawyer walk into a bar so of course i'm the ai expert the lawyer is actually my wife teresa hart who is an attorney and who was very interested in in uh in really uh putting the pressure on chat GPT to answer questions about ethics and bias and intellectual property rights. But amusingly, we started with that idea that, that the three of us were, were working together and we posed that as a question to chat GPT. Can you write a joke? 
with that theme. And actually, the very first section of the book is this fairly amusing joke that ChatGPT wrote to the theme of ChatGPT, an AI expert, and a lawyer walk into a bar. So the that ability to capture humor, which I think is quite nuanced, and uh, and the ability to sort of pick a voice and tell a story from that perspective was actually quite surprising to me. When ChatGPT has what we say looks like human insights, it seems brilliant mm-hmm. and it seems like magic. And then yeah. it also frequently spews nonsense. Correct. How do you, given your experience, co-authoring a book with <laughs> your wife and ChatGPT, how do you think about the dangers when it's when it's flawed versus the the, the, the benefits when it when it seems to generate insights? Yeah. So the 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 flow of being able to write large amounts of content with, you know, you can ask it to write write content three or four different times and get completely different ways of telling the story, different perspectives, um, not so much driving to different points, but re, re, reporting information or reporting the story in different ways is actually quite powerful. But the challenge is chat GPT doesn't actually know anything. What it's reporting back to us is how words in the history of human communication have connected together in the past and with a very sensitive um, awareness of context. And so the challenge is you can say things that sound incredibly plausible because those words can all logically connect together but it's it's either not true or it's nonsensical or 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 something. So my my uh, my conclude one of the conclusions in the book is you got to fact check. You got to fact check everything that 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 Chat GPT or any of these you know generative tools would would generate. Um, in the meantime, if you're looking for creative ways to try telling some communicating something, the shape and the flow of that language is actually extremely handy to have. I mean. Uh, that's that's beautiful. I will also say as a CEO of OII, um, knowing that we can run a piece of text through chat GPT and ensure that it's clear and that, you know, even if someone has written content, for, you know, outgoing content to, you know, the the, the marketplace, you know, whether it's a, a social media post or, a, a you know, press release, being able to run it through and check for punctuation and grammar and clarity and even get suggestions on how to improve how to say something, that takes a lot of uh, oversight pressure off of me, which is fantastic. So this may be a better question for your wife, but ChatGPT is essentially generating content that was previously produced and am- amalgamating it together from, like you said, you know, the, his- the history of time, everything, yeah. you know, all kinds of written communication. And you're then uh, using, you know, some variations of this amalgamated content and you're republishing it in yeah. the form of a book without attribution, not because you have any ill intention, but because you don't know where to attribute, the, mm-hmm. to, to whom to attribute the content. Talk me through kind of the, the ethics and as, a, as an author, how, you know, how you think through uh commercializing content that you get from ChatGPT. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, 
It's a great question, and it's a bit of a conundrum at the moment. But again, it kind of comes down to fact-checking, although from a text point of view, one of the things I did was I put in, when when there was an interesting turn of phrase, I would put that into the internet, internet, into a Google search, and look to see whether that would come up as part of some other piece of content. Um, I actually didn't find any uh, any places where a an actual phrase had been sort of pulled completely out of out of previously written stuff. Um, I did a little bit of that because interestingly, we also generated the illustrations for the book using generative AI. And so I did a little bit of of image searching to see if I could find similar images. And you know, at the end of the day, it's 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 interesting. What these systems do is they break all this content and the connections between words and images and between words and words and context breaks them down into tiny, tiny little pieces and then figures out what are the patterns that those things are normally assembled in. So it's really rarely taking a chunk of an image or a chunk of a piece of text. However, um, you know, that that gets you so far in saying, okay, well, so most times we can see where we're, we're we're doing more what we do as humans, which is we're taking past human knowledge, re-assimilating it into a set of 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 you know processes that we can use for generating something, and then using it. We don't need to uh, you know uh, go back to you know past past humans to to attribute what we're saying or what we're doing on a daily basis because we're using such tiny granular pieces. It does get tricky though, because for instance, for the image generation, you can say in the style of, you know, anime in the style of Ghibli Studios. Well, that that starts to feel like, uh, you know, you're going beyond assimilating little, you know, fragments of human knowledge and, really into, well, this is a style and a theme. There's something coherent about this that was was truly the creative output of another another person or group of people. So it's not, it's definitely not black and white. And one of the things in the book, just from a practical point of view, we did not, we took out all the prompts where there was some sort of suggestion of like, you know, use a Ghibli Studios animation style. We went back to very bare you know, show me a photorealistic image of, uh, you know, a, a chat GPT, a, a lawyer and an AI expert in a bar, right? Rather than um, trying to theme it uh, after somebody's sort of copyrighted work. So it is, it, it is going to probably, some of it is going to be tested out in the courts, but um, it is less I found that it was harder to plagiarize than I was afraid it I it would be, you know, when I started. But that was one of the questions, you know, can I can I rely on this content to not get me into trouble? Like you said, I think a lot of this is going to be adjudicated in the courts in yeah. 2023. I mean, it's happening in real time. Yeah. And I think that might be the topic of your next book. You did a really good mm -hmm. job of navigating the ethics, but I think there's a lot that Thank you. Uh, yeah, people need to be educated about how to uh, tread lightly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I, I published a, a book in 2022 called Demystifying AI for the Enterprise. Uh, and I, I bring it up because actually writing the chapter on supply chain is what led to the formation of OII in the first place. But as I thought about what would the next book in that series be, 
it's it's demystifying ethics and the impact on humanity of AI, right? This is definitely where we are right now trying to figure things out. In fact, I saw a very um, a very interesting panel discussion between Fei Fei Li, who is one of the great the one of the great visionaries of of modern AI, and Mira Marathi, who is the CTO at OpenAI, and uh, they were talking about just these topics. And that was they they um, it was a very um, tactical conversation which was actually refreshing, you know, not this sort of, oh, well, we've got to worry about this and that. It was like, we're doing this to protect against this. We're doing this to protect against this. Very interesting conversation that you can find online. If you have a link, send me it and I'll link to it in the show notes. Oh yeah, I'll definitely do that. That sounds fascinating. Those are certainly two luminaries. Oh, absolutely. So in the past few months since the introduction or the commercial introduction of ChatGPT, it's just capture the popular zeitgeist, like almost no technology we've seen in the past 20 or 30 years. And yet the combination of using conversational AI to produce content or using conversational uh, text prompts to generate images, in some ways you could argue they're, they're incremental improvements on top of things that have existed for a while. What is it about the introduction of chat GPT that just captured the public imagination? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I think part of it is that the, just the sort of, uh, I don't know, humanness of the responses feels like a step function from previous technology. I mean, you know, everyone's had the experience of using a chat assistant in, in customer service and being extremely annoyed I already told you that I'm, you know, I'm not calling about new accounts. I'm calling about the, you know, when you interact with chat GPT, it seems to just get it right every time. Like there's just this, this flow in this sense that it is actually understanding. I think there's something else interesting about chat GPT. And I, I, I comment on this in the book, but um, it's a very friendly, polite, young person that I'm interacting with. And I would be comfortable having my parents who are 88 and 91 use chat GPT and they would be very comfortable interacting with it. That's that's also kind of a, a step function. It does lead to some of the other topics we could talk about around bias and risk, but that that sort of very friendly interface. The third thing that, that sort of has, I think, really made an impact is I was talking to someone the other day who said that they had been they had been actually using it to study for exams. And even though they had most of the raw material there, because they were having a conversation, they felt like they were being taught. It was like the teacher was there feeding them the information in a very human-friendly way. I think humans like that. That's it's it's really resonated from that point of view as well. So within the last six months on this show, we talked a lot about Google's Lambda LLM, large mm-hmm. language model. Yeah. And an engineer named Blake Lemoyne, who now famously claimed it was sentient. Mm-hmm. And at that time, all of the conversation was around whether or not a bot could be sentient. And it triggered a lot of eight, you know, decades old fears about the bot apocalypse and bot overlords. Very different conversation. Unbelievably, yeah. you know, it was like three months later when all of a sudden, you know, we couldn't stop talking about, you know, how... <laughs> how friendly chat GPT yeah. is and how 
you know, it opens up a whole world of new possibilities for content creators. What changed in like three months that all of a sudden we were ready to embrace the bots? You know, I think it has a lot to do with just that, that friendliness. And that, I mean, and if you hear, listen to YouTube that I was ref, re- referencing earlier between Fei Fei Li and, and Mira Marathi, um, OpenAI put a lot of work into using reinforcement learning to train chat GPT to be nice, to be friendly, to not say or do bad things. And um, it feels very reassuring. I think that the bottom line is all the risks are still lurking under there or which the ones that are, are realistic, not all the, not all the uh, apocalyptic fears are realistic by the way, but, but the things that we should be paying attention to, I mean, I wrote the book or we wrote the book because we wanted people to be able to see, not speculate, but see what, what the technology can do and, and sort of walk through like how it works. Um, you know, there's there's those fears are are to be paid attention to right now. But that interface, that friendly, nice interface has had a big impact on people's perception about what it is they're dealing with. I think it's kind of a, a stroke of genius that they that they put that layer on top. I mean, GPT three is incredibly powerful. And when you talk about prompt engineering and some of the things that are that are the technologies that are built being built around that it's it's less constrained and more unbelievably like you know in industry and and work uh impactful but chat gpt is nice and we like that so here's a conundrum that i have and i want to as an ai expert i want your opinion on it so concern i have is that as more and more writers kind of somewhat this is not in your situation but i'll well use the i'll use the adjective lazily rely on these llms do we risk that kind of all content will become homogenized? It's kind of yeah. this reversion to the mean because the LLMs are trained on, you know, in the case of ChatGPT, the 2021 common crawl. So yeah. it, it, it feels like it's raising up the quality of some content, but eventually everything's going to start to seem the same. It, it, and no, it's an absolutely uh, valid concern. In fact, you know, the way we structured the book, we had ChatGPT write every single bit without editorial changes for the entire book until the last chapter where we wrote, here's what we did. Here's why it's interesting. Here's what surprised us. Here's where, ch-. you know, so the first part really is like, uh, actually there's a hilarious anecdote. My mom and dad went out and and downloaded the ebook right away and started going through it, which is, you know, I mean, they're, they're, you know, mathematically they're, they're significantly older than me and I'm not young. Uh, it was awesome that they downloaded the ebook, but the very first thing my mom asked is, did you read your book? And I, you know, I just laughed because, you know, she's reading it going, oh, some of this is a little bit repetitive. Some of this feels a little bit bland or like, you know, it's repeating information, but it's not telling a strong story. But of course, that was the idea. I wanted to test how homogenized is this? You know, I I pulled as much as I could out of it to make the content vary. But it was, it was very, you know, there's parts that were repetitive, parts that were were sort of lowest common denominator, even though it was pulling up interesting facts. I learned a lot while I was while I was watching Chat GPT answer my questions and write the book. Um, because there were there were aspects of of history of communication that I had not been aware of. So that was kind of amazing. But this risk that you asked about of homogenization is absolutely there. 
we like the path of least resistance. There's going to be a lot of content that's generated. Now, the nice thing is, I think one of the things that we've had that's been a challenge in social media is that people are like pushing things to extremes. Maybe maybe uh, a little bit of centrism via AI is not a is not a bad thing in general, um, but it does really risk. I, I would hope that that people take forms from Chat GPT and then add their own their own sort of flavor and story on top of it. But I realize that we're a lot of us are going to be generating bits and pieces that are genericized. The other thing that that leads to, which really worries me even more on, in the short run, is it's going to just lead to the creation of huge volumes of writing. I mean, think about your inbox when everybody's generating daily variations on on whatever it is, you know, spam or or just re- outreach marketing um, when it's all. AI generated. This it's we're we're going to be overwhelmed with content that is all hard to distinguish. I used the analogy in a previous episode of ChatGPT being like the early days of Napster, like mm-hmm. Napster 1999, where it was kind of fun and exciting to be able to get anything <laughs> ever recorded in the world without yeah. really paying attention to did you own it, should you get it, uh-huh. where does it come from, and a whole industry was spawned around yeah. what eventually got you know regulated and enforced. And mm-hmm. uh, what is, let's say we're back in a year talking about the previous 12 months of innovation mm-hmm. around LLMs. What is that industry that's, that ChatGPT is going to spawn look like in 12 months? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I was thinking about what's going to, what, you know, some of the things that, that I think are likely to change in the technology, which is not, not exactly answering your question, but right now chat GPT knows about everything from 2021 back. Right. And we all want to get chat GPT's take. In fact, I've, okay, this is interesting. I've actually seen some, some um, online videos where people are saying, you know, use chat GPT to optimize your sales on Amazon, find out the latest trends in a, what what's selling and this, and that. I mean, that's wrong, right? Chat GPT doesn't know about the latest trends. So from the point of view of what's going to advance technologically, I think making it so that these technologies are know about what's happening, you know, are sort of know what's going on now and layer that in as a sort of a, almost like a short-term memory on top of the the entire model of the history of language. Uh, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting topic that, that there, you know, there's going to be a need for facts and knowledge. In terms of the, the, the sort of framing of what industries are going to come out. I think one of the biggest ones is that there's going to be a bunch of, well, obviously they're already paid services, but customizations around points of view, like, you know, the, the, you know, what, who, who, who do I like listening to? Which bot do I like? And that's going to be a service that people are purchasing. Like, where where you start to angle the story a little bit more toward a particular bias, which is very interesting and kind of um, also disconcerting, in terms of regulation. Certainly, there's going to be people developing tooling that looks for, oh, you can 
purchase my service to ensure that people aren't writing content with chat GPT. I've seen that already. You can purchase my service to look for risk of plagiarism in your, in your output, like just filters. I, I can imagine a whole industry of filters sort of operating around it. And of course, I have no idea what regulation is going to do. Um, my, my fear is that regulators will jump before they understand, but you know, we, there will be need to be some regulation as well. So this podcast is about AI and the future of work. So question for you, you're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of students who are going to be entering a world of work where LLMs are ubiquitous. What are the kinds of skills that they should be investing in now that will lead to careers that we can't even imagine right now, but that will kind of transcend a workplace where LLMs are ubiquitous? That's a that's a great question. So one of the terms that I'm hearing all over the place right now is prompt engineering. So that is really um, not just, uh, you know, that part of it is just very applied. Like, how do you get, how do you get a, uh, you know, a, a, a large language model to generate the specific output you need, but there's a lot of, there is actually a lot of technical content to it. Some of the, some of the applications that I've seen where you're, defining the inputs and the examples and the questions to narrow down the space so that your your outputs really match the 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 world that you live in and and are you know sort of expert in your area um that's very technical actually and so it's a mix of um you know some new skills around how how do you how do you write these prompts how do these systems work so that in itself is going to become uh, an area of, of of expertise. I think there's going to be a really interesting confluence of data science and machine learning and these other these other things. So there's going to be data scientists who are great at feeding their models, their more traditional models. Uh, and you know, I loved what you said about AI helping people. I've always said that AI should stand for augmented intelligence, and so. Uh, big fan of that, and I've 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 written a little bit on online about that uh, myself. But they're going to be taking these models, which solve very nasty little problems that people don't like to do. You know, read through this stack of a thousand sheets to find these three references to X, and then enter those into a database. Those types of activities happen in law. They happen in medicine. They're horrible for humans, but they're great for AI. So how do you say, okay, well, great. So I'm going to get really good at incorporating feeding some of those pieces of text into the uh you know into my you know into chat gpt and then using that as input to my models for that augmented intelligence and and frankly i've seen some really interesting applications of generating the ai and machine learning code with the chat gpt so there you're sort of or with gpt3 more specifically but you know that confluence, I think, is going to be a big one. People who are who are expert at sort of connecting the dots between large language models and machine learning, and you know other sort of technical areas. I mean, for me, that those are the things I see coming. Certainly, there's there's a lot because all all roles are going to need to shift a little bit. Someone told me the other day they it was someone who's in a writing field. They said, "I don't think I'm going to be replaced by AI." but I'm at risk for being replaced by someone who's using AI well. 
So that using AI well is what we've got to what we've got to master. That's a very interesting statement. So we've done almost 200 episodes of this podcast, and we rarely get to talk to a guest with as much experience, you know, throughout the history of uh, of AI and the rise of of neural nets. So before I can let you off the hot seat, uh-huh. you got to you got to answer this one for me. Uh, just genuinely curious to get your reaction. So you live through the air, what we call the air winter you mentioned, and then the subsequent, whether we call it a spring, a summer, et cetera, the current AI euphoria. Is this temporary? Are we? Is there another AI winter ahead, or how is this period different from kind of the emergence of the the spring or the summer? You know, with the yeah. rise of, of of deep neural nets. I think I, I actually. Th- I do think that it's different. I mean, there may be, it depends on what you define by a winner, but, you know, if, if we're looking for true, uh, you know, artificial general intelligence, AGI, you know, the stuff that's going to lead to Terminator and Skynet. And if we think that's what's coming immediately, I think that could still be a ways off. So there could be a winner there for people who are looking for the AGI uh, breakthrough there might be a winner there. However, it's it would be more like a mild thaw, not a full winner. Because what happened be, when I was doing neural nets in '93, for example, um, we we solved some problems, but we had to engineer those problems very carefully to be able to solve them. I mean, I had have a really interesting uh, story about about finding objects in images of uh, sky sky images and 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 recognizing which ones we should go back and look at with a telescope. We were able to solve that with a neural network back then, but it took weeks and weeks and weeks to do something that now would probably take about, you know, an hour, uh, which, and the whole hour was just setting up the problem, the coding, you know, the actual op- optimization would happen very quickly. So um, it, it quickly got to solving practical problems broadly ran into major computing uh, issues and major data access issues. Today, data access is really just has exploded. Our ability to com- to scale compute both through, um, you know, GPU, but also distributed computing and just the 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 access of cl- to cloud computing has changed all that. And we've got solutions which we can use every day as we march toward this next step function. So it's not going to be a winner in that sense. I don't think there's a winner. I think we're, we have real practical ways to use AI today. Every organization I talk to is looking for ways to get better with data so that they can feed the right data, have the right people, as you said, the right employees. I mean, in supply chain, for example, the the people I talk to, they're trying to figure out who in planning and supply chain can we get that has the technical chops to run the to run the organization in a new digitized way, uh, and in fact, uh, uh, just one quick anecdote: I sat in a, a really interesting conference in Berlin about about supply chain in consumer packaged goods, and um, Unilever was partnering with McLaren, so that's the Formula One racing team, and the the model had changed from your in in Formula One. You know, it used to be a pit boss who was sort of making all the calls about the race. Now there's some nerd like me in the background receiving all these feeds from all these tools and then providing insights to the the pit boss. But 
that that flow is changing and they're they were seeing that same thing happening in um in supply chain as well so everyone's trying to figure out how to put data and and analytics first so i don't think there's i think i don't think there's a winner although it still could be a while before that next step function uh in the meantime what we humans interpret as intelligence i mean G chat gpt does seem pretty smart like it it can pass tests and so it's um it's i think we're on a more of a continuous climb now rather than step functions and and winters you mentioned agi artificial general intelligence is that the right goal and if so do, do you want to prognosticate when it's going to happen and if not why are we so fixated on it i think we're fixated on it because it's existential and it's it's like a crazy, I mean, in fact, again, going back to this, the, 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 you know, evolution of uh, creativity and communication, what originally prompted me to, to start to really sit down and try to write a book with chat GPT was that I've written these previous books on AI. Am I out of business? Like, am I just done? Am I irrelevant now? And, you know, I found, okay, I'm not irrelevant yet. So that's happy, but you know, 90% of what I, what I did previously, chat GPT actually did a pretty nice job. So, um, so I think we're very fascinated with existential questions and that's, that's where that comes from. Yeah. My, my inclination in, in, in life is, is generally to try and find solutions to problems. And so that's a different thing. Like uh, that's, that's moving the technologies we have today into more and more instrumented sets of capabilities and and more and more nuance captured in those things so that they can cover more and more use cases. Bob, it feels like we're just getting started. This is a lot of fun. But uh thank you. <laughs> we got to wrap up for this uh for this episode. Would you would you come back and continue this conversation sometime? I would absolutely love to. All Any right. This has been great. Good. Bob, where can the audience learn more about you and OII and of course the book? Yeah, so the book is on Amazon. It is also um, published uh, through booksellers, through you know other um, other sources. Um, so it's uh, Chat GPT, an AI expert and a lawyer walk into a bar. The evolution of creativity and communication you can find it through various searches on Amazon. Um, I'm at oii.ai. That's our website. We're on LinkedIn. You can find us there as well. And I'm Bob at OII.ai. And honestly, I love to have people reach out to me directly if as long as they're not trying to sell too much. Uh, love to love to have these conversations with folks that that hear about what we're doing and, and want to talk about it more. Bob, we are all rooting for you to succeed. This is so much fun. Thanks for hanging out. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, uh, that's a wrap for this week on AI and the future of work. As always, I'm your host, Dan Turchin from People Rain. And of course, we're back next week with another fascinating guest. <laughs>